I'm John Bond. Welcome to Move Yourself Happy. Made for fitness enthusiasts who want to make their passion their profession. Are you unhappy in your present job? Are you passionate about health and fitness? Do you want to release your true potential? If the answer is yes, this podcast is for you. I will be teaching you the specific knowledge that every trainer and coach needs to be successful. So listen closely as I share my expertise with you. So just like me, you can love what you do. Welcome back. In today's episode, I've got part two of the Ben Coomber interview for you. So for those of you that listened to last week's episode, last week was part one and this week is part two. So if you haven't listened to part one, pause this, go back to last week's episode and listen to that first. And just as a reminder, Ben Coomber has been working in the fitness industry for years and has a ton of experience, a wealth of knowledge, a very wise and influential guy. So make sure you listen to to, to today's episode, but listen to part one first. Anyway, let's begin. Um, What do you love most about your job? Inspiring other people. It's as simple as that. Like Public speaking is one of the favourite parts of my job. I love standing in front of an audience and just seeing the penny drop for people. People going, ah, yeah. It's like this video right now. I don't really want to say to a trainer, you know, have you thought about this dietary technique or thought about that? For me, that's quite a transient bit of information. Mm. I want to sit here and make a trainer genuinely rethink the way they approach most of their problems or their work. So if we right now can inspire a trainer to maybe go away and read Jocko Willink's book, Extreme Ownership, we've created much more meaningful change in their life by shifting their mindset and that's why I love mindset work because it can really have a massive impact for the whole of your life rather than like oh right now I need to learn a different leg exercise well that's great but I haven't really impacted you in a way that I want to impact you so it's about inspiring and you know making people enable themselves to just do awesome things Uh, the uh, one of your podcasts where you're into I can't remember the gentleman's name now but the uh, the weightlifter Sonny Webster. Sonny, is it? Yeah. Um, he mentioned how he's now coaching and uh, how he, uh, he he doesn't work on his own PBs anymore because he kind of doesn't want that that life that went with it at the moment. Yeah. Um, but he gets the same kind of buzz from helping others to achieve what he once achieved. Mm. Um, and I, I read, I, I don't know who, who wrote it, but uh, said that they, um, a son of a really, really great coach is someone that can coach somebody to be better than they ever were do you agree with that do you uh yeah i think that can maybe get in the way sometimes because you know you might want to live your success through that person Mm. we see that a lot in parenting where you know let's say the dad wasn't great at rugby and they want to really push the kid to be good at rugby and it's like they keep pushing and pushing too much and the kid's like whoa just like let me find my own way well like golf with sunny uh, yeah, than his dad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I just think again, it's self awareness. Like, am I doing this with the right intention? Mm. Am I really having a positive impact? And if you are, great, carry on. But if there's starting to be a little bit of a change in energy, this person isn't taking information or guidance on board as they were, then you need to reflect on that. And is mm. your approach still appropriate? It's a bit like Rocky Five, isn't it? Remember that one? <laughs> 
<laughs> I haven't watched that one. for a while. <laughs> it was the worst one. Um, still watchable though, if you haven't watched it yet. Give it a go. Um, I jumped ahead. Yeah. Right. Steroids. Okay. Obviously, you can tell I've taken them. <laughs> that wasn't one of the questions, by the way. Well, they don't be insulted that I'm not asking you that. <laughs> I saw some of a t-shirt in a gym once that it said, um, no, I'm not on st- no, I'm not on steroids, but thanks for asking. <laughs> it was a cool t-shirt, but it clearly was on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so what is your, first of all, let's get, we're going to think about uh, sports now. Um, and Obviously, as we know, uh, it, it can be pretty rife in, in many yeah. different sports yeah. um, in every country, uh, not just the obvious ones. <coughs> Russia. Um, what's your opinion on steroid abuse in sports? So, obviously, different environments, sports, federations, systems have kind of rules. So, you know, if we looked at um, if we looked at anything, God, you look at cycling. It's probably a really popular one. Um, you know, we all know the history of Lance Armstrong and probably what happened at Elite Cycling. You know, cycling as a sport said, "Do you know what? We don't want people using steroids. It doesn't make things fair." Um, and then some people started to use it and that becomes unfair it becomes unfair to the people that are really putting in a lot of effort and that's why people get banned because it said well you broke the rules and you know now you're out and to compete at elite sport you're either out you've ruined your chances mm. or you we need you to learn your lesson you can come back in a couple of years time so my perspective is is that you need to abide by the rules if you want to compete at the top level and not be pissed off if you get caught um, and, and, and people are unhappy at that because the rules were the rules and you decided to compete knowing those rules. Mm. If people start to do it for their own reasons, um, then that's completely up to them. If, for example, a amateur cyclist started taking steroids and they started winning all the events at the amateur level even though that maybe wasn't quite a strict framework of rules we could then say well that's pretty unfair because all those other guys again are competing at a a natural playing field um you know i played rugby uh, last season with a guy at my level you rarely see steroids in in rugby Mm. but you can see it a little bit as you start to progress up and this guy um, had had evidently taken steroids and he was inhumanely stronger than everyone else he was a real threat on the pitch you know elbows everywhere like he's just savagely strong and we were looking at it like this feels a bit unfair like this guy has a massive advantage on the pitch um, so I think when it comes down to individuals doing something for their individual reasons like for example, a classic example is bodybuilding. There's a lot of steroids in bodybuilding. Mm. If you want to do that for a personal gain, you're going to do it safely and healthily, and you just want to maybe build that level of muscle mass, then do it. That's fine. What I don't want people to do is say, oh, yeah, I was all natural. Yeah, I didn't take steroids because that's then lying. So I think it is kind of this cheating aspect that you know we need to be the right kind of role models. So if you take steroids tell people about it because that's the honest thing to do uh, and don't compete in an arena where the rules are not to mm. I think I pretty much agree with everything you said there <laughs> I um, I mean I used to have a real issue with it uh, uh, years ago you know because I used to find that uh, back in the day when you first went down the gym you built up some muscle and then um, you uh, 
people join the gym and you'd be the strong guy in the gym because you were the one that had been there the longest and put the hardest work in. Um, now you find you go to the gym and someone will turn up and three months later they're, they've got, they're bigger than you. And you're yeah. like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> been training for years and you, you're bigger than me already. Uh, and it used to be a real bee in my bonnet. Um, but now I'm like, everyone has their reasons, I guess, don't they? Everyone's got their motivations and we don't know why mm-hmm. and what's influencing that. And so I try not to be too judgmental about it. Um, but do you think we'll ever be able to eliminate in sport or do you think it's, it's just going to be there? No, because the desire to get the edge and the desire to win um, is, a, is a real thing when it comes to sport. You've got to look at, you know, from a character trait perspective, why do people choose to push their body to an extreme that they can get on the podium and say, I am the best at this. Mm. So there's a deep down driver that that person has and that will cloud their decision-making process in the pursuit of achieving that thing. Um, And that's when people make poor decisions. You know, you think about someone, take cycling again as an example. Someone trains and trains and does everything and then they have like a failure. It's really hard to swallow. And then in that moment, someone says, well, you could take this. Uh, I know a guy who took this and he went up the rankings by 20 places in the space of three weeks. In that place, when you're feeling that low and that angry, that's when you make bad decisions. Mm. So I think it'll always be there. I think unless really strict rules start to come in, a lot of broad testing, um, it, it won't change. Have you seen, oh, what's it called? It's on Netflix. The It starts off as a documentary about a guy. In cycling? Yes. Yeah, yeah I've uh, seen it. I, I, uh, something, Iricus. Iricus, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is Iricus, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You've seen yeah. it? Yeah, I have, yeah. Yeah, that's, that was interesting, wasn't it? Like, you're watching it and suddenly it turns. It's all about this guy, isn't it? Yeah. The, it's about the professor, isn't it? Rather than the, the guy doing the cycling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting. But it look. shows you how corrupt it is when yeah. things are at stake things get corrupt very quickly. Um, I mean, that's the great thing about people that do those documentaries. It's it, they, they, They're brave enough to put themselves out there and, and lift the lid on that sort of stuff. Um, but you wonder, that's, that, that emphasis was on, was on Russia. Um, but you wonder what, you know, if, if the same emphasis was put on other countries, mm. would we get just as an exciting, great documentary on every country? You, know? mm. <laughs> you just don't know, dear. Mm. So um, it seems a bit, a bit unfair sometimes if people focused on one. Um, in the what about um, well, we talked about sport but what about in the actual fitness uh, industry um, so particularly those that maybe have a big public following you know they could have a massive social media following um, especially if you've got younger males that are following them and they see these big guys and mm. they, they think I want to look like that um, I suppose really you've answered it because you said you think people should be honest about it yeah if people I know I know people that have taken steroids and it's been a contributing factor to their success on social media because it's obviously to a lot of people inspirational. People go, well, I want that level of muscle mass. And people have gone, oh yeah, buy my training plan. That's what got me really Mm. muscular. Don't get me wrong. The guy trained hard or the girl trained hard. They put in the work, but they were heavily assisted. 
it's the honesty thing and there is so few professionals that you could count probably in one hand that have been honest about their steroid use but the thing is is people love them for it even more it's yeah. like okay I respect that you're now a role model for people that want to do that in the right way and healthily and the problem is is if if we're genuinely concerned with people's health we will tell them that because mm. the problem is they're going to go about that and if they think one day like if you said to me oh you know that guy he actually took steroids oh really and then I have to make a decision of whether I want to take steroids or not now if I want to take steroids I'm now going to go and ask my mate that knows someone down the gym and now I'm probably not going to get the right kind of stuff or the Mm. right support whereas if more people are honest about it online that person if they did want to take steroids can then go well I do and it's a decision that I've made for personal reasons I know I need to take this and this but I also need to take this and this and this to support it to do it healthily Mm. um I've done a two or three part podcast on my show with a guy called uh, Dave Crossland and he's a steroid expert and he openly says like I'm I'm not pro or against steroids again it's a personal use thing but God if you're going to do it know how to do it mm. because no one's doing it properly and that's how I, everyone is getting testosterone problems later on in life you know they're getting all these side effects because they're not doing it so if we had more people talking about it whether people are going to do it or not they're going to do it safely and that's important yeah, that's you know I'm advice. not judging anyone that does it but I'm judging you if you're giving out the wrong information or lying about what you're doing yeah and that's the thing that's, I suppose that was my issue and, and still is to a degree is that in some way or another it's encouraging body dysmorphia in, in younger males well and older males actually mm. I'll still look at my guns every day in the mirror and be like damn it <laughs> I might even get that guy's number you were just talking about um, <laughs> but yeah so that, that that was my kind of being a bonnet there Um have you ever been tempted yourself? Not really. Um, I've said to myself that I would be open to the idea in the future when I don't like compete in sport and it wouldn't be unfair. I would literally just do it for myself. Like if I took it now, it would give me an unfair advantage in like my sport, for example, in mm. rugby. Like I'd, I'd maybe run faster or be stronger or whatever. Yeah. Um, the only reason I would do it is purely to find out what effect it had on the body because in where I've come from in my journey and my position I'm a bit of a human guinea pig so I like to try different training programs and you know protocols so it would be purely out of an interesting I wouldn't want to you know a lot of people have done it really for personal gain and financial gain because mm. it's it's been aspirational I wouldn't do it for any of those reasons and if I did it I'd document all of it on social media yeah yeah I would say this is what I'm doing this is why I'm doing it this is how I'm doing it this is where I'm starting from this is how I've ended up like and document the whole Mm. thing because I've got nothing to gain from hiding it but I've got everything to gain from sharing it yeah totally I've 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 considered not seriously considered but I've considered that myself and doing that just because exactly the same dead dead curious Uh, and I know that um, when I've spoken to other people about stories in the past They've always said, you know, the thing that annoys me is, you know, you still have to work hard. It's not like I just take steroids and, um, which, yeah, of course, but aren't we all working hard? Aren't we all going in that gym and working our asses off? We are. Um, and I think it must be a hell of a lot easier to stay motivated when you're going back in each day and you can get another play on the bar. Um, you can work that a little bit harder. You can get that extra rep every time you go back. Um, and also, I saw, it's the first time I've ever seen this, I saw a study the other day that said that they had 
um, different groups of people. They had a placebo group mm-hmm. um, who uh, trained and were given a placebo. They had a, a group that were trained and were given roids. They had a group that trained and were given nothing. And they had a group that didn't train at all. <laughs> and the last group were given the gear and didn't even train. Mm-hmm. Well, as you expected, the guys that had nothing and didn't train, when they did muscle biopsies after a period of something like six weeks, no change at all. The guys that trained uh, with the placebo, there was a bit of gain. The guys that trained with the gear, there was a lot of gain. Um, but the, the thing, that was all kind of obvious findings, really. The bit that I was really shocked about was the group that didn't train and took the gear gained muscle mass. Not significant amounts, but they still gained muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you hear the argument that, you know, well, I still have to train hard. Um, yeah, I'm sure they do. Mm-hmm. But why would you risk your getting caught? Why would you risk your reputation if it's not really doing a great deal, if it's not really giving you that much of an mm-hmm. edge? It must be giving a big edge, mustn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's get off stories. I mean, <laughs> the conversation. Um, right, I'm going to talk about personal trainer's role now. So do you think the role of a personal trainer um, is subjective to the individual or do you think PT should follow a strict standardised procedure? No, because I think in the title, you're training a person. So the start and finish of your role, like the skills that you have, it's very subjective. Like it's very subjective how you go about your job. Um my approach to nutrition, for example, will probably be different to you. Most of our knowledge would probably be pretty similar, but based on my experience, my biases, all that kind of stuff, I would approach it very differently. Um, so I think it's all very subjective, um, but I do think you know there's, there's generalised codes of conduct that we think trainers should follow. We've talked about some of that already, like be professional, care for the person, understand them, prioritise their needs, refer out when you need to, there's plenty of lessons there, but it's a, it's a very subjective job. It is, isn't it? Very. Yeah. So uh, if you've got the uh, the trainer who sits down, does the, the screening process, goes away, um, writes a 12-month periodised plan, taking into consideration all the, that needs analysis and all that stuff, um, then you've got the other trainer who uh, then goes away, uh, books in a session, comes back, knocks on the door and says, we're going for a walk today, Next session, right, let's go for a cycle. Do you think uh, both roles have their place um, and are equal, I guess? Yeah, 100%. Um, It's about what that person needs at any particular point in time to move them closer to their goal. So, you know, we talked earlier about kind of like weight training and a trainer being like, right, I'm a personal trainer, so I need to get this person in the gym three days a week and get them squatting and deadlifting and all the rest of it. No. It might be that they just need to make some simple lifestyle changes. It might be that they need to go for a swim twice a week and hit 5,000 steps a day. And actually, you shouldn't be training them in the gym yet. They're Mm. literally just not ready for that. Because remember, what does a gym do? It, It kind of makes people sore. They have to turn up. They have to turn up maybe at a particular time. And maybe that person's just not ready for that yet. Maybe they need to build up to it. So um, again, I think if more trainers can just really stand back and say, what does this person need right now? And what might they need in the future? Then we'd be making better decisions by the client and not what we perceive every person should be doing Mm. if they were perfect and great (laughs) like me. Yeah. So number one for everyone, whether it's working on training 
or whether it's your nutrition, it's building adherence first, isn't it? Yeah. Really, before you start working up the layers. Let's talk about layers. Um, okay. Uh, do you think PT should d- uh, diversify, so work with you know every different client out there, or do you think they should specialise? I think that's up to the personal trainer, if I'm honest. Um, I don't think people should generalise so much that they just take on anyone. Again, it's a skill thing. If you can't train a client effectively or there's a better trainer in your gym, then do the right thing and refer them to that trainer because it would be better for their needs. What I want a trainer to do is legitimately follow their passion for the people that they want to train. So if you've got a client list of 20 people and four of those people are annoying you, you don't like training them or you just you literally just don't want to turn up, ask yourself why. It might be that all of those people for example, uh, are 50-year-old professional males. Who knows? And it might be that you as a person just doesn't connect with that demographic. Mm. You don't have rapport with them. And it might be the people that you love training are the mums under 30. It doesn't matter. Who knows? Who told you? (laughs) (laughs) Steady. Um, The rumours out. And then the trainer needs to say, okay, well, for me to stay passionate, why don't I really focus on that clientele? And why don't I really start to specialise on that clientele? Because if you can specialise even more on mums under 30, then you can get even better results, which supports your business model. Because if you get better results, you're getting more referrals, you're getting more before and after photos, yada, yada, yada. Mm. And the cycle then continues of us enjoying our job, us training the right people, us getting the best results. So I think it's an it depends answer, but I think everyone is going to have Denise to some point. I don't want to train everyone. No, no, like, I don't. <laughs> exactly, because there's, again, people that I'm not going to resonate with. Mm. Um, so yeah. It links way. with um, what you said before in one of your podcasts as well about being very good at one thing, doesn't it? You know, Get really, really good at one thing before you start to branch out into other areas. And it could be that you get really, really good uh, I was going to say meeting the needs of a under 30 mother yeah um, get really good at that and go actually yeah now now I now I kind of want a new challenge I feel like I've got my approach down on that one so let's let's start working on some other groups so, yeah yeah 100% um, I recorded a video recently on how many clients a PT should see in one day now you've kind of answered it but my video was, was a bit a little bit controversial because I suggested that um, you uh for me, an optimum, not not a maximum, but an optimum number of clients to see in one day was between five and six. To And my argument was that if you want to give the best of yourself and give them that quality service and keep it equal across the all six, um, you, I think it's going to diminish after that number. Just being the human beings that we are, we've only got so much attention, we've only got so much energy. Uh, and I think, I thought after that, you, you start to lose... Um, the will to live sometimes but you, you don't care as much um, I didn't know if you wanted to challenge that or if you had anything to well when you asked the question I had six in my head so we're kind of in agreement um, what I would ask a trainer to do is again just be objective about their work environment currently so you might have a trainer sit in front of you and they're working 10 hours a day Monday to Friday now they have the capacity to physically deliver those sessions mm. but as you said 
do they have the capacity to deliver those high quality sessions so are the sessions all really high quality till we get to like Thursday morning and this person just starts to decline and burn out a bit and just be a bit tired and then they get to the weekend and they're literally spending Saturday and Sunday just recovering from that week and we might say okay well if I chipped that down and didn't do 10 hours and did 7 but maybe worked a bit more on Saturday morning to level it out and dropped a few clients and maybe put up my prices a tiny bit. Do I get to the end of the week not resenting my job and enjoyed it because mm-hmm. I've delivered quality sessions? And it's like a workout. There's nothing worse than going in the gym and having a crap workout because you've just felt a bit tired or whatever. It's the same with our job. We do better at our jobs when we feel energetic and inspired and passionate about it. So if a trainer has the capacity to work 10 hours a day, five days a week, then do it, crush it, fine. Mm. But if ongoing, longer term, we're seeing a negative pattern or a negative cycle, you've got to scale back. Address it, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll move on to nutrition now. Um, I don't know if you know much about the subject. <laughs> Couple of things. Um, what is your approach or procedure when working on a client's nutrition? So I'll always try and look for quick wins first. So if a client is sleeping really poorly, I'll probably focus on that because sleep can change just so much for people. Uh, Level of energy, concentration, well-being, hormonal function, really important. Um, They might be really poorly hydrated, so I know that's going to have a quick win. They might not be eating hardly any protein and they're training hard, so might be able to elevate that. So I'll try and get quick wins because if the client can see those quick wins, their motivation you know, doubles, triples, they're, just, mm. they're off on one. Um, so a perfect example of that is trying to get weight loss fairly quickly with a client. Um, and that's where I do like you know, slightly more aggressive approaches at the beginning. Like we don't have to you know, tell the client we're going too hard. But, you know, put them in an environment where they're guaranteed to lose a good two, three, four pounds in the first week because that's going to motivate them. They're going to be like, oh, this trainer knows what they're doing. So quick wins. I obviously assess their level of motivation and capacity to change at the beginning because if someone's highly motivated, has a high readiness to change, then I can give them a lot more information at the beginning and I know that they're going to be okay. If someone's feeling, you know, a bit emotional, a bit stressed, you know, even the personal training feels like a bit of a burden to get to and just do, then they're going to have a very low level of capacity to change. So we need to layer it on slowly. So I'll always get quick wins in a client, try and get them just eating well as quickly as possible. And it might be just swapping a few things and maybe asking them what are their favorite fruits. Okay, we've got five fruits that you like. Can we just eat more of those fruits rather than saying, oh, these fruits are really good. I don't like them. Well, you're not going to get a client to eat them if they don't like them. That's something that maybe comes further down in the journey when they have a greater capacity to handle new things. So I'll get those quick wins and then I'll work with them over time to educate them. And then that might be that we talk about calories or specific food swaps or maybe a few things that they could really improve on. Um, And that's kind of my approach. So I'll always get them eating well and feeling great and then build on layers of specificity. Mm, Okay. And would you choose sort of one thing at a time? You know, let them focus on, you talk about the the book, the you know the one thing. 
would you have that approach of intuition? Right, what one thing is going to make a really good impact now? Let's just focus on that. Again, on some clients, if they've got a, um, a low capacity to change and they need like a habit-based approach, then yes. If not, they might be ready to just get going. Just go like boot camp yeah, style. Let's yeah, just... tell me what to eat. Tell me how to train. Brilliant. The, the, the downside with that with the trainer is people, trainers will assume that the energy and the capacity to change will stay really high the whole time and the problem is is everyone will have a bit of a wobble mm. like because it's been it has actually been too much too soon so a trainer needs to recognize when that's going to happen week three four five six seven whenever it is and that's when the re-education process starts to come because a lot of trainers will get lazy they'll give a client a diet plan a training plan some lifestyle changes and they just do it and the mm. trainer's like easy money yeah. done it just go off and do it. But there's going to be a point where they ro- uh, wobble because they haven't re-educated some of the client's patterns and they're starting to go back to their old ways. Mm. So that's why the education process in, in, in being a personal trainer is fundamental. Mm. I guess it comes down to what we were discussing before about how badly someone wants something too, isn't it? You, you can probably adjust to more behaviour changes depending on how much you really want it. Um, mm-hmm. I guess you got a wedding in six weeks. Oh, <laughs> probably it's about six weeks, isn't it? For you, uh, it's three. That oh, was it. Three weeks. <laughs> I was just talking hypothetically yeah. about somebody if they've got yeah. a wedding in three weeks. Yeah. Um, you you can't do the slow steady approach, can you? Mm-hmm. You're gonna have to do as much as you can in that short space of time. Yep. And 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 actually, if your wedding's in three weeks, you're probably gonna do it. Well, I think you're there. Um, <laughs> you're done. <laughs> um. What do you think works better for weight loss? Um, and I, I think I know your answer to this already based on what we've been discussing, but um, for weight loss, tracking calories on my fitness pal or working on one behavior at a time? Yeah, so it's the same answer as <laughs> I've just given. Um, obviously, calories are important. So if we can get someone being mindful of their calorie intake early on, their chances of getting success is going to be uh, better. Mm what a trainer falls into the habit of is doing what they do so I know many coaches that are really passionate about intuitive eating that's great but it's only going to go so far if you're working with someone quite athletic they're struggling with their goals they don't understand food then intuitive eating is not going to work at certain periods of time they have to go through the process mm-hmm. of tracking calories um, and then there's other people that you know track calories religiously because they may be really into like physique bodybuilding that kind of stuff and they get all their clients to track calories why that's what you do that might not be what the client needs um so it's about having the tools in the box and using them at the right time Mm. the chances are if we're really honest with ourselves most clients are not going to track calories all the time no because it can just get to be honest annoying sometimes like oh oh i've got to think about how much that is weighs whatever so we need to give people the tools to be able to achieve their goals for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And if that's calories, cool. If it's not, then it's not. Mm. So horses for courses, really, isn't it? Yeah. I think I use that expression a lot. <laughs> um, do you think abs are made in the kitchen? Uh, well, abs are revealed with what we eat or you know, a calorie deficit. We cannot ignore the fact that training uh, shapes what we have. So, you know, we can all get people lean, we can all eat less, but how we look is going to be dependent on the style of training that we Mm. do. So, for example, if I talked about my abs functionally, I've got quite 
like um, when I was younger, I did a lot of ab work. So I've got very thick abs. So I can have a six pack at like like 9% body fat, whereas other people might have to get like a bit lower. Mm. So I find that I can get it a bit easier, but that's because the muscle is big. It's like if I wanted my chest to look big, um, at a higher body fat percentage, I have to have bigger chest muscles because mm. they will stretch the body fat. Um, so don't overlook the fact that training shapes. Yeah, good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, would you be interested in buying some Herbalife? How much? <laughs> Take my money. That's it for nutrition. <laughs> do you want to? Do you want to stop for a bit and have a? Well, I, I don't mind whatever you want to do oh I don't mind keep going I'm yeah you're right, right. I'll just yeah. bear in mind I'm firing questions That's at you right. it can be a bit intense um, okay I'm uh, going to move on to some tr- some training stuff now um, should we use periodization for our PT clients or is that just for athletes I think it's for athletes and for people that will train like an athlete so really an athlete is someone that's goal orientated So if your client has the goal to get stronger, faster, fitter, somewhere there has to be an element of periodization. And it could be such simple periodization that, okay, today we're going to do 5K and next week we're going to try and do 6K. Mm. And that's it. It's as simple as that. That is adaptation. It might start to get more specific like, right, okay, this week in the squat, we're going to do three sets of eight. Next week in the squat, we're going to do four sets of eight. Next week, we're going to do five sets of eight next week we're going to do five sets of eight with two drop sets on the last two sets that's still really simple periodization Mm. um i know a lot of trainers will get a client in for a session and they might do stuff differently every day today we're going to do a bit of rowing today we're going to do a kettlebell complex today we're going to drag a prowler around and then chuck a medicine ball out outside if that gets the client to their goal of just being happier, healthier, they enjoy the variety, that's kind of almost why they go to a personal trainer, then we can't discredit the result. Will that client get better results by periodizing more of that training? Yes. But if they're not really interested in that kind of goal gap, in really going that like extra level of athleticism and they're happy with where they're at, then don't overthink it too much. Because if you keep throwing stimulus at uh, an individual, they're going to keep doing it anyway. So the chances are subconsciously a trainer will see a client in the session and go, oh, my client's gassing here. Like they're really out of breath. You'll give them a longer rest period because you can see they're gassing. If they seem like they've recovered really quickly, it's like, let's go again. So already you're subconsciously putting periodization into their training by just watching body language. So we can use all these apps and you know protocols to do things and they've got their place, but it always comes back to the client and what they want to achieve. If they love random training when they come into you and they're getting feel, fitter and they feel good, keep doing that. I loved your approach to that answer actually. If they're a goal-orientated individual, then yes. Um, that's a really quite simple way of putting it. Um, we, I mean, we talk about this a lot, and we talk about it as trainers, um, like the tut- our tutors. Um, you know, do you need to periodise? And sometimes we can all be a bit judgmental where we're in a gym and you'll see a trainer in the corner, you know, and they're week in, week out. You never see them with anything. You never see them with a notebook. You never yeah. see them with a, a program or anything. And yeah. you know, they're just making stuff up. And 
and I personally I don't work that way I, I have my programs and I'm very rigid I put the data down I keep the logs and all the rest of it and I'm quite I like data I do like data and I like tracking progress um, but I've come around to the idea and I totally get that not everyone wants that mm. that's, that's, that's added pressure isn't it you know, yeah. they might have goals in their life already that they're trying to work on they don't need these added extras yeah. they might just know that if I'm physically active I'm going to live longer and I'm going to have a better quality of life mm-hmm. so just do that for me please yeah. trainer <laughs> so if we if we talk about different character types and you were training me I'm not that bothered at all about numbers right. I'm much more bothered about how I feel uh, my performance um, I'm a lot more intuitive mm. about it as a person whereas other people are like oh how many how many burpees did I do like oh what did I get yeah, like, yeah. and they want to know they want to see that if you did that with me I'm not that bothered right so you can keep all the data if you want but it's almost wasted on me as a yeah, person of course, yeah because how I view training and what it does for me yeah, yeah. horses for courses there we are again um, okay still a couple more questions on training um if we if we are using periodization, have you got a particular periodization model that you favour? I guess I'm thinking more for sports sports people, you know, perhaps rugby players. I'm always a big fan of things that increase volume and intensity in shorter periods of time. So I do like building work capacity in people. I think it strengthens a lot of things. What I don't really value is kind of like uh, absolute strength like I'm not that bothered of what my 1RM bench is or squat or any anything like that I'd much rather know how strong I could be repeatedly over time mm. when stressing multiple systems because I play a sport Yeah. so if I can use a training model where I can fit more volume in in less time and also I'm a, I'm a busy guy like I don't want to be in the gym like I know a gym a guy down my local gym and um, he's kind of quite into powerlifting and stuff. And his training sessions are like two, sometimes three hours. Mm. And I'm like, I have not got time no, for that. it's too long. And don't get me wrong. If you want to compete in powerlifting, if you want to do all that kind of stuff, then do the right kind of training. But my goal is to look good, feel good, be pretty strong, um, and burn a half-decent amount of calories so I can drink more beer, mm. if I'm honest. Um so I make the training fit for me. So um, I quite like uh, cluster training. I like doing like tri-sets, quad sets. So I might do like a bench press straight into a chin-up, straight into a sit-up, straight into a carry because it's targeting different areas of my body, but it's also gassing my heart at the mm. same time. I'm not sure. And improving my work capacity. Alexa. Thanks, Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, putting her two pennies worth in. <laughs> so yeah, I like volume in short periods of time. Um, okay. Sounds very. Um, and we haven't talked about it actually. Sounds like you possibly could have an interest in CrossFit. I respect the CrossFit model because it it if anything, if we looked at a system, it develops a fairly multidisciplinary individual. So it teaches people mobility, strength, but work capacity yeah, definitely as well. Work capacity, isn't it? And I think that's very valuable. It's mm. like what do most people want to do? Well, they want to be able to move pain free. They want to be fairly strong. They need absolute strength. They want to be fairly strong. And they want to be able to kind of almost feel like they can perform as an athlete. And I love that. Like if you said to me, if I walked into a training session and you said to me, Ben, we're going to do this to get this today. I want to be the guy that's like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, Ooh. sweet. And and because I'm not 
bothered about dick swinging with you. So if you said, right, we're going to back squat, I'm not bothered about whether you're going to squat more than me or not. I'm like, cool. Because I don't really value that as a, as a, as a way to prove my prowess. Mm. Um, what I want to be able to do is feel like I can move well and be a bit of an athlete. So that's why I like that style of training. It goes back to what we were saying before about the sort of the layers and the base building and the work capacity. If you look at a lot of world-class athletes, there's a story dating back, you know, years ago when they were a young athlete where they had some sort of habit or behaviour that meant they, they built up an enormous work capacity compared to the less successful peers, I guess. Yeah. I, I think it's because I never want to be a specialist in training as well because like so I, I've talked quite openly especially on my podcast before about powerlifting and um, I don't respect it that much as a discipline because it's very far away from where I'm at now I respect it for people that do it for the right kind of reasons and they enjoy it but you become such a specialist at just being strong mm. it's a discipline that I'm like, well, okay, I get that you're really strong, but you're pretty immobile, can't run that fast. And, and I get I get, I'm generalising. You can't run that fast. And there's so many other things you can't do because you've been a specialist so much at one thing. Mm. Again, if you're a shot putter, all you've got to do is throw a ball of steel really far over there. Mm. So you do the training that gets that ball of steel really far over there. If you're not that person, then break down that specificity and I would much rather people do lots of cool things. So you can be that guy that can swim 100 metres, run a couple of miles, lift good weights, gas their system, play sport. Like I, I just, For me, I'd just much rather see people be that person if they're not going to be really specific about their goal. Yeah. I mean, the strength thing you talked about, especially with powerlifting, it's a very specific strength too, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You, you absolute maximal one RM. Um, and working on that, it, it comes with its risks anyway, doesn't it? Yes. Um, and for most people, working on your absolute maximal one RM is quite irrelevant, isn't it? For most, yeah. If you think about the average person, um, if they increase their lower body strength, for example, um, to them, their perception of having better lower body strength means when they get out of their chair, it doesn't hurt quite so much. Yeah. They can do it quicker and more efficiently. Yeah. Um, training uh, to be able to uh, body weight squat twice their body weight, you know, doesn't yeah. uh, doesn't have any relevance. So that's a fascinating <laughs> topic because strength training is all relative. Like strength training to me and you does kind of mean lifting pretty heavy weights for low reps strength training for a, a lady that's 60 years old will be three sets of 15 reps because mm. they're going to get stronger over time at 15 reps but they need to be quite far away from maximal strength but you or me might need to be mm. quite closer so strength is also relevant to the person and their environment it's quite an interchangeable term anyway isn't it because often if I'm writing a blog I'll start going talking about strength training and I'm like, hang on, no, I can't put that really because I was talking about strength training in another blog and referring to specifically something like powerlifting, whereas now I'm writing it in the context of just moving weight, whether yeah. it's for high reps, low reps, whatever. Um, so then I'll revert to resistance training. Um, uh, it's kind of everything, isn't it, really? It, com- it encompasses everything. Um, so to be a well-rounded, strong and healthy individual... Should we train all the phases of strength? Now, again, you've answered a lot of that, but I've got down things like 
Um, some of the stuff we've discussed earlier, so general physical preparedness, so all that kind of base building stuff. Do we need to have specific hypertrophy workouts in there as well? Do we need to work on maximal strength? Well, actually forget that because we've already discussed that. Should we work on power? So I think GPP, really important. Just baseline, I'm going to call it being an everyday athlete. Hypertrophy, I think it's going to be important for a high percentage of people because, you know, especially most guys who want to build a bit of muscle, there's definitely probably a lot of females that could do with building a little bit of muscle, probably in some areas of the body, just to support, you know, being stronger, being more able, um, you know, help improve, you know, their metabolic rate and stuff. Power, I think, is a funny one. It's like power and speed is interesting. So, like, if you're quite a powerful person, I personally feel it's quite important to generate that a bit more, mm. especially from an athletic point of view. Now, if we take someone like a 40-year-old female, they seem, when we're in the gym with them, to be quite slow twitch dominant. Like, they are that slow and steady. They'll do lots of reps. They're a real workhorse. And you go, oh, this person's not very powerful. And then you start doing power training with them. And they're, 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 their muscle fiber type is just not going to really become much more powerful Where in the way that we think about it, um, about being able to generate um, weight with speed so it's like in that environment should we waste that much time teaching that person to be more powerful it's probably better that we just teach them to be stronger because then they'll appear more powerful because they'll be able to shift more load mm. so um i do think there's a there's a kind of a ceiling to where we would use something like power-based training address strength first and then i think power, yeah. power's like the icing on the cake isn't it I guess. yeah i agree yeah um something else i was going to say on that um it's gone. It might come back to me later. I think for me, power as well. It, for me, it feels, especially like speed as well. It feels a bit more genetically determined. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I, I've seen that. Um, you know, in, in circuit classes I've done outdoors, where no matter how hard someone tries, they just can't seem to go up a gear. Mm. They just can't seem to go into that next gear, and the, the and the speed they run over a hundred meters flat out it's pretty yep. much what they're then doing when we do a run around the park yeah, yeah. the entire park yeah um so that's that's kind of my, my evidence that the question i had actually uh came to me was um or, or experience i had one of the first gyms i trained at there was a, a gentleman that used to come in and he was in his 70s and he used to walk up to the wide grip chin up bar grab hold of it and just used to go out these beautiful clean 10 long wide grip chin ups and uh and you know, we, everyone in the gym used to watch in awe. And this guy was in his seventies, and he looked brilliant. I mean, I would, I would have taken the physique, and I was eighteen. Yeah. And uh, and and there's other people that are in the gym who are, are twenty years younger, and their postures. You know, they've obviously been office workers all their life. Mm. You know, their postures like this. They moved so much slower from one machine to the next. And this gentleman, you know, it jumped down off the thing and he'd walk out, chest puffed out, shoulders back, you know, very confidently, say goodbye to the receptionist, you know. Mm. And uh, he was a bit of an inspiration to me. I, I never actually got to know him. I never introduced myself. I was too shy. Um, but he was an inspiration to me. And I thought, wow, it's not just about building muscles to look good naked, which is very important, clearly. Mm -hmm. um, but it's about quality of life later on. Um, and I... I hazard a guess but I expect that guy has just always trained he's mm. probably done it for years um, and he's now reaping the benefits in his later life um, 
So I kind of wished that message was getting across to people a bit more. Mm-hmm. My granddad's exactly the same. So probably until quite recently, my granddad's always done like 30 push-ups a day and 30 sit-ups a day. Now we as people that train a lot just think, well, is that it? <laughs> but like he has a commitment there to his physical conditioning. Mm. And although he's only doing a bit, he's doing something and he's always just said, well, if you don't use it, you lose it. And I don't want to be the, the old guy that needs to be helped up the stairs or have to walk with his yeah. inner frame. So I'm going to keep using my muscle mass. And it was just that such simple perspective. I'm like, yeah, nice. I like Damn that. right. Yeah. And that's, um, that's actually a huge amount of volume, isn't it? If you add that up over his time period, that's a huge Every amount day. of volume. Yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah. I think is it Dan. I think it's Dan John. He says um, if it's important, do it every day. Mm. So your grand granddad obviously thought these these are two important exercises. I'm yeah. gonna do it every day. Uh, is hypertrophy largely down to genetics uh, and or drugs? <laughs> I think your hypertrophy potential is down to genetics. Um, I think I'm not that far off my, my hypertrophy perspective uh, potential. Mm. You know, we all know scientifically that in the first year of training with weights, we can gain quite a bit of muscle. You know, 12, 18 pounds is, is quite often commonly quoted. And every year after that, it's just going to diminish and diminish. Now, if you and me train really hard, we're probably going to be gaining like two or three pounds a year, consistently training hard. And it's because of our genetics. So people's frames and muscle mass will have a wider or narrower ceiling. Mm. And I think we can all safely agree on that. Like we can take a group of people and some just build it really nicely. Mm. And some people have to work way harder. Um, and that's, that's it's just genetics. Yeah. Like, and I think quite, you know, there's a good few signs about it. Like I've got quite uh, slim wrists, slim ankles, slim joints, Quite commonly, we see that as a determining factor. People that have a lot of thicker wrists, you know, they get in the gym and they just they yeah. puff out. I'm, th- I'm thinking some like Jeff Capes, yeah, <laughs> to like big hands, yeah. and you know, even he, he would have been spotted. I imagine as a youngster at school, and they're like, that guy's going to be an absolute beast one day, yeah. and he was. <laughs> yeah. Can you tear a phone book in half? I can tear a pamphlet in half. <laughs> Eight-page pamphlet. pamphlet. <laughs> a <herbalized> pamphlet. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> do you think... Well, actually, you've answered this. Does everyone need a goal and why? Um, no, not everyone has to have a goal, do they? I think we've established that. No, um, but I would question why they don't have a goal. Um, you know, there's, there might be a point where someone's older in life and they're kind of like, do you know what? I'm just enjoying it. <laughs> I'm all <And> gold out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's cool. But if someone was younger, I would question it because I just don't see how someone can't have aspirational goals in some area of their life. So it might not be that someone is uh, career goal oriented, for example. Like they're not interested in earning more money or climbing the career ladder they probably still have like a relationship goal Mm. or an adventure goal or just something else that makes them tick um you know i talked earlier about uh the the kind of three things that were quite important that i learned and i said um about investing time in my relationship that's a goal Mm. that's a why um and i just think some people maybe haven't had the right kind of stimulus to make them realize what their their why is and their purpose is and then follow it 
I mean, everyone has desires, don't they? There, there isn't a single person on this planet that doesn't desire something. I mean, we, we by natural evolution, we desire food, water, that sort of stuff. Um, so I guess, yeah, for some people, they haven't found out what it is they actually want or desire. Or perhaps it's just a bit intimidating at the moment and it's not something they want to address yet. They're not, you know, they're not um, ready to quite go through the change that they need to, to make it happen, make it a reality. Yep. And then that person then has to identify if there's pain there in the way and they don't feel that they can chase the goal because of the pain. So we as coaches need to help people identify what that pain is and how to solve it because otherwise they'll never look, move past it. And mm. that means they'll live in regret and have anger towards something or someone. Um, and then there might be like a confidence gap or a knowledge gap. Like I've got that goal, but I just just don't really know how to do it. I don't know maybe the training style or how often I would have to do things. And, and then we can easily fill that gap. Mm. But again, as coaches, we are here to problem solve. And it, it's it's not, you know, not everyone has this instant mindset of like just chase the goal and do it. Some people naturally do have that through their upbringing and stuff. But there is a desire, like you said, somewhere for people to have that. And it's our job to stimulate that in someone. Mm. That's what a coach is. Absolutely. Um, I'm not quite ready to um, give up gin, for example. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> um, is there any tech that you recommend for training clients? So I'm not an active personal trainer anymore. So um, I'm, I would struggle to answer this. Um, I, I, I guess from your own point of view, have you used anything for yourself? Um, I don't at the moment. I, I don't really like numbers. So, oh yeah, we established that. Yeah, so I don't, I don't really like things like heart rate variability training or tracking workouts on my phone or any anything like that. Mm. I love a training logbook, a pen, and a plan, and my phone off and the music on, and that's, that's <laughs> kind of it. Um, if I was to choose one thing, probably something like My Fitness Pal or a track calorie tracking app where clients can learn and engage with with tracking calories. Maybe a meditation app like Headspace to help them teach them that as well. I think that's really valuable. Um, maybe like a podcasting and an audio book app so people can learn. Um, that's probably my three top ones. Yeah, sounds good. Um, how often do you train yourself and for how long? I'm, I'm guessing not for two and a half hours at a time. No. <laughs> um, I train about two or three times a week with weights often for 45 minutes to an hour and 10 won't train any hour uh, longer than that and that's probably because I'm just feeling good and I want to keep going Um, it's pretty high intensity it's pretty high volume I try and do as much as possible Um, they're usually always full body workouts Uh, at the moment I'm in my rugby season so I train how I want but I still train with intensity and I do that because I'm quite often like mildly injured to some degree you might have a sore ankle a sore neck a sore shoulder because I've taken a knock so I have to work around that in my training so I'm like okay today uh, I'll do deadlifts and chin-ups and I'll I'll, I'll, uh, avoid any anterior pushing because my elbow is sore or something like that Um, and then I'm in uh, I'm on the pitch playing rugby training twice a week and playing uh, once a week if I didn't play rugby I probably still wouldn't be in the gym more than four days a week. I don't think many people can train much more with much more intensity and keep that up for long periods of time. And I'm always looking at the quality of training I'm getting because I want to enjoy it as well. Mm. There's nothing worse than getting to a Saturday 
and doing your last training session of the week and kind of like feeling like you're grinding through it. Yeah. I want to walk into every training session and be able to, you know, work hard, work with intensity, be able to feel the pump, feel my strength. Because um, that, for me, feels satisfying. Yeah. The uh, Going back to the duration of training, um, Charles Poliquin has uh, often said that um, if you're in the gym for sort of longer than an hour, you're, you're making friends, not making muscles. Um, I think there's validity there, yeah. <laughs> well, how many people do you see sitting on the bench press and then take a five-minute Instagram break? And I'm like, I could have done another three sets while you did that, buddy. Get off the bench. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. You just have to cut in there. Uh, right, brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Uh, that's the, the questions uh, that... Uh, I'm going to ask you on camera. Now we're going to do the really juicy ones. <laughs> <laughs> and there we go. That is the entire Ben Coomber interview. Now, I know that is a dated interview back in 2017, but I'm sure you'll agree there are some, some really good threads of information there that offer some really relevant advice to today. I know there's some, some bits in there as well, probably seem a little bit dated, but, uh, you know, there's still a ton of useful information there. So if you are, you know, a keen fitness enthusiast, think about becoming a fitness professional. Hopefully, you've got a good idea of uh, how to make that happen. So thanks again to Ben for doing the interview. And uh, if you have enjoyed that, make sure you leave your feedback and enjoy the rest of your day. Cheers. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, something you can do for me is subscribe to my show. And if you know anyone else that might be interested in this content, then please share it with them too. You can also head over to our socials and follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. But if you're ready to take that next step, visit our website, www.stormfitnessacademy.co.uk, fill out a contact form, that'll come straight to me. I will contact you shortly afterwards, and I look forward to speaking to you then.